0: Welcome to DigiSection, a podcast about building great digital health companies and the strategies behind them. My name's Oscar. I'm a physician, inventor, and entrepreneur, and I'll be your host. The following is a conversation with Matt Beater Shapiro, the chief marketing officer of Vitalize Health. Vitalize is a new kind of Medicare Accountable Care Organization, powering primary care practices with bold financial incentives and smart technology. Vitalize helps over 600 providers and manages more than $1 billion in medical spending. Matt previously was the founder and CMO of Medpilot, which Vitalize Health acquired after helping navigate over 1 million patients through their healthcare experience. Day, I have the great pleasure to host one of my favorite founders. Hey, Matt, thanks for joining today.
1: Uh, thanks, man. Happy to be here.
0: We met during the early days of our companies while being at Cedar sinai Accelerator uh, in Los Angeles. But I've just actually realized that I never asked you the question, uh, what made you start MedPilot? So
1: I've always wanted to be an entrepreneur. Uh, I definitely have had that bug. Uh, from a very early age, um, MedPilot, uh, was was the first company that i really went for um, it wasn't just the lemonade stand um, it was a company that you know i wanted to uh, do something where i could add some value in a big enough space where uh, we had a lot of room to, to to kind of formulate our plan and to potentially mess up and so healthcare was a good good space because a lot of improvements needed um, there's a lot of innovation already at play but Plenty of room for more. Mm -hmm. And it's a space where my family is involved in it. My father's a a physician. Um, It's one that I feel very strongly about in terms of if you're going to spend every waking minute thinking about your company, you should really believe in it. And so, you know, picking a space where we're really uh, hopefully improving people's lives and, and, you know, can can get behind a a strong mission was important for me. So Mm -hmm. um, I personally, uh, out of the founding team, was not from healthcare from a career standpoint I actually came from marketing uh so i was very fortunate to be able to team up with a couple of people that really knew this space in and out uh jacob myers and nathan spoden spent you know a better part of a decade in healthcare consulting and so you know none of this could have ever happened without founders or co-founders that uh
0: really uh you know could bring in that expertise so it's kind of the perfect fit Many investors say that having a great team is even more important than the idea itself. Um, Could you tell us more about how did you meet your co-founders, your team, and when was the first moment when you thought, okay, those guys are the perfect fit for for what I want to do?
1: It's a great question. And, and, you know, to start, I fully agree with that statement. I think uh, an idea is important. But uh, a great team can make any idea, you know, work, you know, and so I think that in general, uh, a great team doesn't just mean people who are smart. It means people that you can handle stress with and that you can trust. Um, Starting a company is one of the most uh, stressful experiences you could have. Um, (laughs) It's extremely exciting, but it's also a lot, you know, you're managing, uh, you know, trying to raise money, trying to trying to support your customers, trying to build a team. And so, you know, for me personally, like uh, your your team is everything cause you're gonna get through the good days and the bad, bad days with them. You know, for me, I, I met Jake Myers, our co-founder and chief marketing, or sorry, chief executive officer uh, through a mutual friend. And it was definitely mm-hmm. an experience where we didn't know each other too well before the company. Uh, we were kind of, you know, mutual friends. But uh, over the course of the first year, two years of MedPod, he became you know, not just a really close friend, but I honestly consider him a brother of mine. And uh, he brought in our third co-founder, Nate Spoden, just because they used to work together. And Nate was someone he could trust. He runs a tight ship. He's extremely good at checking the boxes of things that you know, Jake and I were not as proficient at, you know, he's an incredible product manager as well as an operations guy. And, you know, for us, that was extremely important as we started to scale. Um, you know, when Nate became a co-founder, we were going from a few employees up to, you know, five, 10, 15, eventually we got to 40. Mm-hmm. We needed someone who was really good on that operations side. So, um, you know, we, we went through a lot as a team and I think, you know, it's important to be able to trust your team enough to, to, to know you can give them honest, good feedback. I think all of us um, at this point, you know, we, we, we think of each other as family just as much as co-founders. And I think that's the only way it really works.
0: And could you tell me how your idea evolved? There are many examples when you start with idea X and then it turns into Y. Um, how did that look during the development of MedPilot?
1: Uh, yeah, that that would be one of our company's uh, progressions. We, we did start with X and end up with Y. For for us, uh, we did at least uh, we, we kept the overall mission and problem we were trying to solve the same. Uh, we attacked it from a fully different angle. Um, so for us, we were trying to solve the issue around medical bills. Mm-hmm. Um, we knew that they were fully like crushing many Americans. Tens of millions of Americans can't afford their bills. They don't understand their bills. Um, They're sometimes not even receiving their bills based on communication methods that that are being used. Um, And so for us, we wanted to tackle that. And so we actually started off as more of a patient advocacy play. Um, We would try to help patients navigate their way through their medical billing experience by um, talking them through what their bill meant, helping them negotiate it helping them work out payment plans if they couldn't afford it. And we realized that while the, the concept was nice, it was a terrible business idea. Um, it turns out that the same people that can't, uh, in most cases, afford their bills, probably can't afford a service okay. to, to help them through the experience. So not a great business model. Um, fortunately, we were able to pivot it um, thanks to the expertise that Jake brought in from healthcare consulting to actually start partnering up with the healthcare provider themselves so that you know they could be the client they could be the one to pay for our service and it was really a win win because if we were able to help navigate their patients through their experience and help them not just resolve balances which is one goal but also you know have an open communication line with them Uh, the patient was happy and the healthcare provider was happy. And so we were able to help way more patients at a time because through every healthcare provider we'd sign up, we could access to tens of thousands of patients um, in some cases. So it was a lot more scalable, a lot uh, more productive of a business model, and we were still able to accomplish the
0: same uh, result we set out to do. And let's say I'm a physician working with a huge healthcare organization uh, that is your client. How does your product help with our workflow and the administrative work?
1: Yeah, so we, you know, today, if you're seeing a doctor, pretty much the standard process is maybe a month goes by, maybe a couple months go by, um, and you're going to get a statement in the mail that says, uh, I hope you remember your visit, this is what you owe. And, you know, you might get a paper statement once a month for 60, 90, 120 days. And either you've paid your bill at this point, or you might end up in collections and start getting called by a debt collector. Um, so if your healthcare provider is working with MedPilot, um, our process is a little bit more 21st century. Um, first and foremost, we think that you should establish a communication with a patient way before they owe money. So, you know, we start pinging the patient, letting them know, thanks for coming in. How was your experience? Um, can you let us know how we did? So right off the bat, establishing a, a form of communication and building that relationship uh, from there. Uh, We'll send out email, text, phone call, or statement based on kind of your personal preferences, how old you are, how large your balance is. And, you know, we'll continually optimize our approach based on what's working with you. Um, We're going to take into account the tone of communication that uh, we're going to use, the form that it comes in, whether it's email, text, phone call, or statement. Um, We will adjust uh, the payment plan options based on your financial situation. And so, you know, really trying to take a, you know, a very personalized approach as opposed to today, which is a little bit more one size fits all. Um, as MedPilot expanded as a company, we, you know, had built this CRM system that was primarily used for patient revenue cycle management, but we, through all of the forms of communication we were speaking to patients about we started to expand into other administrative functions like surveys appointment reminders some recare care notifications Um, and ultimately uh and and most recently this past year we even brought it into more clinical communication uh you know allowing patients to you know talk to us about remote patient monitoring and telemedicine and other kind of clinical so we really became an end-to-end patient communication tool in this
0: past year Wow, so you're doing really a lot. I'm, I'm impressed. And so tell me, as said before, we got to know each other through the Cedar sinai accelerator powered by Texters in Los Angeles in 2018. As far as I remember, you were already a well-developed company at that time. So what was the main argument for you to join Texters? And could you share your thoughts for other founders thinking if they should join accelerators or maybe do things on their own?
1: I think you know it was a it was a big discussion for us. Um, we came to the general conclusion that it was a good program for us, purely because we were ready to fully roll out our offerings and scale, both fundraising wise as well as client wise. I think uh, you know we were the most mature business in the portfolio. Um, you know, most people had maybe five employees. We had about twenty already. Um, We'd already picked up decent revenue uh, and like a couple seed rounds of capital. And so, you know, I think for us, the timing was perfect because you meet a lot of investors and venture funds and clients through these programs. But if you're really early stage, they might offer you advice, but they're probably not going to start handing you money, term sheets or client, opera- or client opportunities. For us, since we'd already really proven ourselves, we were at a point where we could actually take those meetings and really put something to work. And so for us, we were able to come out of the program and actually raise capital from a lot of the investors we met there. Um, we did pick up customers through relationships with them. We also just built an overall uh, you know, credibility to our brand by going through such a prestigious program. And we picked up a lot of incredible advisors along the way too. So I think it really depends on what you're looking to get out of the programs. But the benefit of going in a little bit later stage is uh, you can really take advantage of the relationships then and there. Instead of having to potentially build it longer term and wait, you know, a year down the road before you're really ready to
0: to take it on, can you talk about the metrics you had with customers before and after the program?
1: Um, just the scale did. I mean, I remember the hardest part about uh, you know going through the program for us was since we were a little bit more mature, uh, it was not easy fully focusing on the program. Um, for one, like we couldn't bring our entire company to LA, you know, and so uh, Jake and myself uh, kind of took on the program ourselves uh, for our company. And we, you know, we really relied on Nate, our, our third partner to, to run our operation in Cleveland and maintain, uh, you know, the, the relationship we have with our customers and our employees and everyone that uh, was not going to just let us take a three month pause uh, while we went through this program. So, you know, for us, uh, it was difficult to do this, but thankfully, I think, uh, Ann, uh, Wellington and, and Jenny and, you know, the people running the program are very flexible with us. They understood the situation we were in. And so, you know, they were very open that, you know, obviously you got to keep your company rolling forward as much as possible, uh, while understanding this is a very unique program and you should take advantage of it. So, um, you know, we definitely grew a lot, uh, employee wise. During the three months, uh, we picked up a ton of customers. I remember we'd picked up some like 40 or 50 different healthcare providers during the program. So we were in like a pretty big scaling moment for our company. And again, it's just a huge testament to how strong our company was overall. It was not uh, like one person was doing everything. And so we were able to really like maintain a good presence uh, in Cleveland where we were growing while still uh, exploring the LA experiences as well.
0: I know you love Cleveland. Tell me more about the home of your company and why is it such a great place to build your business in?
1: Uh, we love Cleveland. Anyone that's heard me speak, whether it's at a bar or, or on a podcast here as we talk about Cleveland, I uh, I actually uh, started MedPilot in New York um, with my co-founders. And we, we really did like New York City. It was a lot of fun socially, but also business-wise, it provided a lot of opportunities to network and meet you know, important people, whether they're customers or investors or employees. Um, for us, you know, as first-time entrepreneurs, it was not like people were throwing money at us. So uh, we needed to be in a place that was a little bit easier to scale a company. And so uh, Cleveland, for us, really was the perfect model. Uh, for one, it was definitely cheaper than New York City, which we love. Uh, but most importantly, it's a huge healthcare city. Uh, so we picked a place that has incredible healthcare providers, which allowed us not just to have potentially good customers, but also amazing talent for us to grow our company with, and also investors that understood the market and like the space. And so uh, it really checked all of our boxes. I'm also from Cleveland, so my mom was super happy about the move. <laughs> and uh, you know, for for everyone, it was uh, it was a big change, and there was definitely a little bit of what are they doing uh, from our investors when we first decided we we're going to move, but didn't take long for everyone to understand the huge benefits of moving
0: our company to Cleveland. Now moving to, as I think, the most important topic for today. I was so happy and excited once I learned that MedPilot was acquired by Vitalize Health. First of all, huge congrats, Matt. Um, and could you tell us more how that happened and how to navigate through an operation like that?
1: It, it's extremely exciting for us. We are... Just really, really thankful uh, that we have been able to uh, partner up with such an incredibly uh, impressive company like Vitalize Health. Uh, you know, for us, MedPilot, you know, was an incredible uh, experience. We having the ability to you know, raise a few rounds of capital from incredible investors, build up just a truly remarkable team uh, of around 40 plus people. Um, and get to work with over a million patients uh, through their healthcare experience, it was a really perfect experience. But for us, um, you know, MedPilot was just one small facet of the healthcare equation. And so for us to really transform our offering and and make the impact that we wanted to, um, you know, we needed to partner up with a group like Vitalize Health that kind of provided us the opportunity to not just work with people and administrative, uh, situations, but also uh, scale that across clinical, which is clearly an important uh, place to be. So, uh, Vitalize was good because you know it was not so much bigger than us as a company when we merged that we would just get lost in it. Uh, we were able to come in and you know take in good leadership positions, and all of our employees didn't just get brought over, but we've already been hiring like crazy with them. So it was kind of the perfect size company to to join up with. Um, the, the process really began when we were just a, a vendor of theirs, you know, a, a client. Um, they brought us on to not just help on the patient billing side for their incredible customer base, but also to start to explore how to bring what we had learned into clinical. And they, you know, I think to, to Ferris and, and Amir and the, and the team over Vitalize's credit, they understood that we had built a product that while it was focused on patient billing, um, we had kind of figured out how to best speak with patients. And one of uh, our favorite stats that we like to use is, you know, we have a 97, 98% at all times patient satisfaction mm-hmm. score with our patient population. Wow. And we're talking about medical bills in a lot of situations, which is <laughs> not I know It's favorite. hard,
0: it's super hard. Yeah,
1: it's, it's not exactly what you want to usually talk about. And I would say that if you sent out a text to people saying they had a $50 Amazon card, it would be tough to get that 98% patient satisfaction score. So um, we feel extremely uh, grateful for that. We have used both data, but also just incredible uh, humanistic approaches with our team to speak with patients in a way that is well-received and they feel appreciated of of our approach. And so Vitalize kind of saw that as a, wait a second, if you can do that in that line, uh, how can we bring that into the clinical side as well and really uh, have that holistic end-to-end patient communication tool? And so, you know, we worked together and we got more and more excited about, uh, what they were doing and how we could help them, uh, accomplish it together. And, uh, we, we were excited that they, uh, they wanted to take it to the next level and go from dating to getting married. So, um, you know, it's, it's extremely exciting again, like it's great for, uh, our company. It's really, really great for our investors, our stakeholders, our employees, and a uh, really big win for the city of Cleveland in that, um, they're not just getting a good exit of one of their uh, more known healthcare startups, but also we're able to expand our footprint in Cleveland now with more resources. So uh, all around really, really exciting opportunity.
0: I think that this story works as a huge motivation to all of the entrepreneurs listening to our podcast today um, and also for all those building their companies in Cleveland. And could you tell us more about the current product offering of Vitalize Health plus MedPilot? What are you selling today to medical practices?
1: Yeah, so Vitalize Health is really a new kind of Medicare Mm -hmm. ACO, and it powers primary care practices with bold financial incentives as well as very smart, elegant technology. Um, So they're really an all-in-one solution uh, that kind of serves as a virtual doctor's office for a lot of these practices. Uh, They allow them to enter into this value-based care model where uh, they can make more money by kind of enhancing their primary care services. Um, that overall can reduce uh, total costs because, you know, it's a little counterintuitive, but actually by providing more primary care, uh, the overall cost of a patient goes down in most cases. Um, it's way better to, to be seeing a primary care physician or to be doing remote patient monitoring than to just show up to the emergency room in six months because you have a heart problem. And so they're able to uh, boost kind of quick profits for primary care practices, um, by enhancing their services. And they're also able to allow them to get shared savings, which is, uh, the money you make for lowering the cost of the patient. Um, so it's a extremely important model. Um, you know, MedPilot serves as their technology that they speak to the patients through. Um, and so at this point, you know, we're, we're fully joined, uh, at the hip, but, uh, you know, it's, it's an end to end patient communication tool and solution that really gives, uh, everyone an easier ability to enter into the value-based care market, which uh, personally, and I think a lot of people share my views, is how healthcare should go. It's the direction it is moving towards, probably slower than most of us had hoped. But uh, thankfully there's companies like Vitalize Health that are, are kind of speeding up and transforming that process.
0: I've always admired you for your marketing skills. You're truly a genius in in that field. What would be your advice for an early stage company, say if they just raised their seed round $5 million, and they want to get real with marketing, what should they start with?
1: I think marketing really needs to start with just the overall message and the story. Um, Storytelling is the only thing that matters when you're a small company. I think even when you're a massive company, it's still by far the most important thing, but there are other areas you need to focus on. Um, But at the small stage, your story needs to be captivating. It needs to be exciting. Um, and ultimately, it needs to be flexible enough based on whether you're trying to tell the story to get customers, get employees, or get investors. Um, so it needs to be pretty agile. Um, I think that you know a marketing team doesn't need to be too specialized at this point. Um, it needs to be filled with people who can really roll up their sleeves and get involved in a few different areas. I think especially in healthcare, um, you know, you're playing against people with potentially massive budgets, whether you're... Um, you know, going against insurance companies or health systems or, you know, the very well-funded digital health companies that exist today. Um, so the only way you can really combat those massive budgets and teams is by having a better story that uh, you're able to get out into the world. So for me, uh, the most successful thing that we did was really through just thought leadership. And it was primarily primarily based on uh, speaking engagements and press and, you know, kind of what comes with that is hopefully sneaking into some awards and some conferences, um, but really like talking to anyone that you possibly can. Um, And so, you know, we, we obviously, you know, had people on our team that were specialists in social media or digital marketing. Um, You know, there are plenty of different avenues that marketing uh, needs to fill, but the story is the only thing that really matters. And you need that earned media as much as possible, which really just comes from, understanding your market, understanding what storylines are currently being told and how yours fits into it. Because I think the most important thing that most people don't think about when they're like talking to me and bummed that they're not getting the coverage they want to get is, you know, we're not setting the wave of media coverage. You know, we are not Elon Musk. You can't just set out a tweet and expect people to just start talking about your story. You need to do a very good job of understanding what's out there, who's talking about what, And then you need to integrate and kind of surf that wave of coverage because uh, we're small startups. The only way we're going to get any coverage Mm -hmm. is if we kind of integrate ourselves into what's currently going on out there in the market.
0: Okay. So do you want to say that people can actually do marketing without any budget?
1: Yeah. MedPilot did not have a marketing budget for like pretty much 80% of the time we were a company. Even when we did kick on a marketing budget, it was still pretty nominal. Um, And, you know, I came from a world of Madison Avenue with massive budgets and big ideas. And it was very quick uh, that I learned that all of that fun stuff that I could do when I was playing around with a Pfizer, or like a big pharma company's budgets was not going to really be very doable (laughs) for a healthcare startup anytime soon. So, you know, you can get pretty far, mostly just by building up your brand um, in marketing, and that shouldn't cost too much money. Um, I think a lot of people try to overcompensate by not having a big enough brand, by dumping money into digital marketing or paid social, maybe paid press. Uh, you know, really, what you should be spending your time and resources on is building that brand through as much press and content generation as you can, which te- technically could cost nothing or however much your marketing team salaries are. Uh, you know, for for us, um, it was pretty much just me annoying the heck out of any reporter or writer that was possibly in our space and trying to get on their radar and trying to build a relationship and, you know, ensuring it was not one-sided. You know, I wanted to, way before I pitched MedPilot or anything we were doing, ensure that they, you know, saw value in our relationship by, you know, helping point them in the direction of smart people, showing them that I was reading their coverage, giving them helpful tips on the market. Um, And, you know, if you're just immediately selling them on your company, they won't ever feature you. But if it's not transactional, you can get pretty good coverage. And I can promise you that will yield way bigger results than any, you know, Google search budget you're going to have in the first couple of years of your
0: company. And is there any particular way of getting in front of the big providers and health organizations um, how to gain their trust?
1: Yeah, you're not gonna gain their trust unless they've heard of you, first and foremost. So you know they're they don't want to take a chance on a nobody company. So the most important thing for you to do is to build up your brand so that it is bigger than the actual state your company's in. And you know we did that through being in every publication that we thought they might be reading. Making sure that we were all over the Google results for the certain terms they might be searching, like a patient financial engagement company or revenue cycle management. And so, you know, for for us, that thought leadership was really our, uh, you know, way of convincing these these companies they could take a chance on us. And they, could, you know, we might have been small, but we had enough funding that we were clearly able to get on top of, you know, keynote speeches at conferences mm-hmm. and awards and all of that stuff that kind of made them feel a little bit more comfortable with working for us.
0: Yeah, I love your talks, by the way. Thank you. Thank you. You got to have
1: fun <laughs> with it. Yeah. If people think healthcare <laughs> has to be boring, uh, you can definitely have fun with it.
0: I've read a really interesting article yesterday in Forbes. It was about a company called the ClearCat. I know it's one of your portfolio companies. You've been an angel investor for the last couple of years. Tell me more about your latest investments and also your investment thesis.
1: I love investing mostly because I think it makes you a much better entrepreneur. Um, I know I personally have have definitely revamped uh, and approached how I kind of talk to investors and present our company and present our offerings way differently because of both positive and negative things I've seen uh, while sitting on the other side of the table as an angel investor. And so I I think it's very important, even if you don't have that much money to invest, really try to meet with as many companies as you can and and get to know the market from not just your side of the table. And I think that's super important. Uh, You know, For me, I like to invest in companies where I think I can add some value, mostly because I don't have the deepest pockets. So while I can write a small check, uh, really where I think I can move the needle for companies is by helping guide them and give them advice, both as a fellow startup entrepreneur um, who has started, scaled, and sold a company, uh, but also as a marketing advisor and, and a strategist on that side. And so you know, companies like ClearCut are just absolutely incredible to watch. Um, they have so much going for them, but they're also first-time entrepreneurs like myself. And so um, you know, anything I can do to help guide them and have them miss any bumps that we might have hit as a company, uh, you know, could add a big difference. And my thesis is really more, uh, you know, I like certain spaces. I love healthcare. I love wellness. Um, and most importantly, I like companies where I think marketing uh, that I can add uh, can really move the needle and then I can you know feel good about my investment and, and joining them as more than just a investor, but also a partner.
0: And which of your investments had the highest IRR so far?
1: Oh, that's, that's a tough one. I've, I've had a couple that have gone extremely well. I'm very fortunate. Uh, you know, I've only been invested for a couple of years, so all, you know, no, no exits yet, but uh, from a paper perspective, um, there's a company called Bokksu, B-O-K-K-S-U. That's a Japanese snack box company. Um, it allows people in America to experience incredible Japanese snacks that are a little bit more traditional to Japan. Um, it's kind of like a FabFitFun, um, or Birchbox model. And ever since we've been involved, they have gone up at least 10 times in valuation. Uh, so very excited about how that's grown in the past couple of years. Um, and then there's a company that I'm a marketing advisor for that uh, powers music schools. And so they come in as an investor or acquire of a music schools, and then they give them financial support, administrative knowledge, marketing support, and uh, that. That music school company now uh, owns and operates uh, 13 or 14 different music schools. Um, It's growing one or two music schools a month and I'm extremely excited to be involved with that model. It's really fun.
0: Do you have any pro tips for other entrepreneurs reaching out to angel investors like yourself?
1: I would reach out way before you need money. Um, I would approach it the same way that you're not going to ask someone to marry you on the first date, (laughs) like start that conversation before you really need money. Cause when I get an email from someone who just cuts straight to it and says, I need money, that's not like really something that I'm going to do. Like I need to really understand not just the company, but the person before I ever invested. Um, And so, you know, I took the same approach as an entrepreneur, like when we would go out to raise a round. Um, we would not start the conversation with investors, that we would almost be finishing it, you know. So really, really start those conversations way before you need them. Otherwise, you're probably going to to waste some bullets by, by coming on too strong or, or too aggressively.
0: Mm-hmm. And should you mention the valuation? There's so many different schools and approaches toward that. So let's say you're raising your seed round, you selected the top 10 investors, One of them agrees to be your lead. Do you have any pro tips on how to talk about valuations?
1: I mean, your valuation is not really dictated by you. It's dictated by your lead investor. So I think in general, uh, you can have an opinion on it, but it doesn't really matter unless you (laughs) convince someone to give you money at that valuation. So I would say uh, after a lead is essentially picked your valuation. Uh, you can try to negotiate with them by seeing if someone else will give you a bigger one. So at least then you have a starting point or a floor um, if you don't think it's a valuation you feel comfortable with or that's not a partner that you necessarily want. Um, you know, for, for us, uh, you know, we, would, we would give ranges, but mostly we would just give uh, you know, the metrics that we would look at or the market comps that we thought deemed uh, acceptable you know, valuation uh, opportunities for us. But you know, ultimately, thinking that you control your valuation is pretty silly when you're an entrepreneur unless you have (laughs) real money behind you, you know, dictating it.
0: So, (laughs) but good luck. Let's move on now to fun things. Could you tell us more about your recent inspirations? Are there, you know, any books, podcasts, or movies that you think other entrepreneurs should listen or read or try out?
1: I love listening, reading, uh, watching Anything to do with fellow entrepreneurs, business leaders, politicians, anyone that I think uh, that I you know can can kind of learn something from or aspire to be like, um, I want to read about it because it's not just the lessons you might learn from it, but for me, it's like hearing the storyline of oh, like they didn't just wake up, come up with a good idea, and suddenly they're a billionaire and they're killing it. Like, there's a lot of things that go wrong along these journeys. Um, it could be within the same company they started or in most cases it could be the first company or a couple companies they start didn't work out the way they wanted to, but on the fourth or fifth try it did. Um, I think for me, it's been important to, to hear those stories because it's not going to go well every day and knowing that you're not alone and knowing that's part of the process keeps me going personally. So, um, you know, movies, books, podcasts, all the above. I've done the, the big books like shoe dog, you know, that everyone's <laughs> zero to one that everyone reads yeah. onward um, the everything story but uh, I also like a little bit more niche things um, you know I, I like reading uh, books about random politicians that people might not know about but that have incredible stories um, so I you know for me I, I think it's really really important just to understand that this is not like a perfect up and to the right situation for most people um, and even the people we look up to and aspire to be like um, they have the same struggles that we have, and they, they just stuck with
0: it, and they kept going, and, and eventually it works out. Once talking about politics, is there any figure that you would say inspired you or that you learned a lot from?
1: Um, one of my favorite political figures, he's extremely obscure uh, in the grand context of politics. Mm-hmm. But my grandma, who is a librarian, uh, recommended a book on him. And so I I now consider myself an expert after reading Destiny of the Republic. (laughs) Um, It was on President Garfield, uh, who is one of the many presidents that came from my home state of Ohio. Um, I believe we have seven or eight, um, which is like the second or third uh, state in terms of producing presidents. Um, although I can't say all of them were fantastic presidents. We'll take you know, qu- quantity over quality. And uh, President Garfield was a very, uh, very brief president. He unfortunately passed away um, after getting uh, assassinated. Um, it was a little bit more of a story of he got shot. And while he survived the shooting, uh, they hadn't created antiseptic yet. And they did a really bad job of operating on him and eventually he died of, um, unfortunate disease. And it was one of the most uh, important stories I've ever read because he's someone who nobody will write about um, in the context of great leaders. He's not considered a JFK by any means. Um, but he really got into politics for all the right reasons. Um, he is an incredible family man. He was a, a big farmer in Ohio. And he got involved in politics purely out of public service. And he actually had zero interest in being the president, um, but <laughs> his fellow members uh, pretty much forced him into doing it. And after a lot of weird uh, political kind of like flip-flops that I didn't even know about in terms of how voting went down uh, you know, a century ago, um, he, he ended up being forced into being the president. And I thought it was just the most incredible story. And he's an incredible figure because sometimes – you just need to step up and sometimes you might not even want to do something, but you just need to step up and being a founder, you kind of feels like that sometimes, you know, you, there are a lot of things that you don't necessarily want to do at all times, but you don't really get to choose. You have to do what's best for the company. um, The same way that he didn't really want to be president, but he knew it was what was best for our country. And he, he was kind of forced into it. And uh, the sad part is it, it didn't work for him because there was a crazy person that ended up trying to assassinate it, ultimately succeeded in it. Um, and being an entrepreneur kind of feels like that sometimes. You're like, I, I don't really want to jump into this. This is dangerous. Um, it's hard, it's risky. Um, this might not end well, but if it's really what's best for you know our country because it's a solution that's really important or it's what's best for your company and your employees, um, you have to go for it. And so I think, you know, seeing that there's other people out there that have been successful, but also for the right reasons, um, not just because of the fame or the glory was was an important story for me and, and one that I think a lot of entrepreneurs um should kind of aspire to, to have.
0: Okay. Matt, thank you so much for joining today. I hope to see you soon. And well, again, congrats on your acquisition. It's super interesting and exciting for all the other entrepreneurs.
1: Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And for anyone out there that has a good idea, whether they're looking to speak about marketing or entrepreneurship or politics, uh, definitely don't be shy. Um, you can find me, Matt Spiro, uh, on LinkedIn. Uh, shoot me a note, and I'm a looking forward to talking more.
0: If you enjoyed this episode, you can subscribe on Apple podcasts and Spotify, or just go to our website, digisection.fm. See you next time.